Father, as we try with all of our hearts to understand and know you, uh, we see the wonders of you. We just sing a song where it says, mountains bow down and the sea will roar just at the sound of your name. Father John, here in the book of Revelation where we are studying, is trying with all of his heart to relay to us what does our Savior look like, our risen Savior, the one who is in glory in heaven itself now. And he writes these words trying to explain them. And Lord, we want to thank you for it. You all may be seated. I want you to listen. Um, in the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, um, you might want to read through from time to time, but you've got to understand the, the, the dilemma of John. He's trying to explain the unexplainable. And, and, he, and he really can't put it into words that we would be able to completely understand because... He's in heaven. He's trying to, to explain to us what is, what is it he sees about this one that we worship. And listen to these words in the fourth chapter. We'll get there sometime. And, and it's in the fifth verse. It says, from the throne, the throne of God, he said, proceeds flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. He said there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. And, and before the throne there was, as it were, he says, a, a sea, a sea of glass. It, it's like crystal. It's the best he could come up with, I guess. In the center and around the throne there were four living creatures. He says they're full of eyes, front and behind. The first creature, he says, was like a lion. The second, like a calf. The third had a face like that of a man. And the fourth, was like a flying eagle. He said, these four living creatures, each one of them having six, wing, six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. John then writes, when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. And they shout out again saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you create all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. That's where we are kind of now in, in this first chapter of the book of uh, Revelation. Um, John is going to, to the best of visibility explain to us this one that we call our Lord and our Savior. And if you're here this morning and you've kind of heard that we're going through the book of Revelation, you want to find out what's going on, and you, you're still searching. You don't know if you know Jesus Christ yet as your Lord or Savior. I want you to, to listen. I don't want you to kind of hear from me. Um, I'm just secondary. What I want you to hear is what is John say about this one, Jesus, whom we worship. Now, you've, you know, I could have entitled this message, He Touched Me. Because in, in two places here, we're going to see where our Lord touches people. John, John is, is, is we're going to read in a moment, when he turned and he saw Jesus Christ, he, he fell at his feet like a dead man. You've got to remember, John walked with Jesus Christ on this earth probably uh, laughed with them, cried with them, ate with them. They, they, 
they enjoyed much time together, but all of a sudden John is now seeing Jesus Christ for who he truly is, this glorified, risen Savior, the God of this universe, and he fell at his feet just like a dead person. You need to, to, to think about all of this. Think about this one whom we worship. Would you please read with me in chapter 1, verses 11 through 18. And John, to the best of his ability, is going to talk about two things, two sides of our Lord, his humanity and his deity. And he's also going to speak about his purity and why he has this purity and his judgment, his authority, the, the wrath that will one day come from this one called Jesus Christ. And by the way, I, I can understand completely why some people have trouble. They, they, they look at the Bible and they say, well, it contradicts itself. Here, here we, 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 we worship Jesus Christ. He's this humble servant. He comes to save mankind, you know. And he, and he wouldn't hurt a fly. And all of a sudden you start talking about, about him like he's going to come down in wrath. That's the truth of the Scripture. The truth of the Scripture is he came the first time as a humble servant to give his life for you and for me and for any and everyone who would believe in him. But when he comes again, he's going to come in judgment. That is his promise. And so it isn't a contradiction at all. It, it, it is who he is. And we best deal with it. We cannot make God in our image. We've got to take him for who he is and what we read and see about him. And it is my heart's desire that, that you will be able to see him and feel his touch upon your life. Read with me, please. In verse 10, John hears this voice like the sound of a trumpet behind him. And it says to him in verse 11, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, Thyatira, to Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then John says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And having turned, he says, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. He says his head and his hair were, were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes, he said, were like a flame of fire. His feet... They were like burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in the furnace. And his voice, his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face, it was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, John writes, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I, I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Think with me. John now saw Jesus Christ in his glory and he fell at his feet as a dead person. In a moment or two, we're going to 
read about what Isaiah felt like when he finally saw God and in the heavens itself when his robe filled the temple. And I want you to think with me about this one that you and I adore as our Lord and Savior. And I want us to, perhaps as Anthony explained when we started the worship setting, to, to consider worship a weekly process. Not, not something you do when you walk in here, but it is a part of your life. I mentioned last service, you know, uh, what little sports I played. I, when I went to spring training, I, I never, never, never one time went to spring training to get into shape. I was always trying to make the team. I always got to, sh- to spring training in shape. I was ready to throw the ball full on the first day and, and run as fast as my little legs could carry me and all of that the first day. And, and in, the, in the service was Jimmy Campanis and I asked him if that was his mindset and he said, oh yeah, oh yeah. Came there to make the team. And I thought, you know, if, if that's something you do just for an, an earthly thing like, like baseball, What about when we come to worship the Lord? Do we come in here desiring for the musicians to ramp us up so that we can feel like we should worship? Or do we come in here worshiping because we've been living that lifestyle all week long, ready to worship? Father, please impress upon us the importance of who you are in this service. Move me aside. I I absolutely beg of you, Father, please, move me aside. Let me not get in the way of anyone here who is searching to know you, either better or for the first time. Let me not get in your way of moving upon each of our lives for whatever purpose you want to do with us. And so, Father, open up our eyes so we might behold wonderful things from your law. Teach us, I pray, dear Father, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Okay, let's get down to first things first. When John turned and saw him, he saw one like the Son of Man standing in the midst of these seven golden lampstands. The first thing a church must do, every church, But we can't speak for every church. We can only speak for this. The first that we must do is to fulfill our call upon this earth. And that is to recognize that Jesus Christ is in the middle of the lampstands. We we are told in verse 20 that the lampstand is a representation of the churches. And so we are to recognize that Jesus Christ is the central authority of the church. Now, the lamps were, at that time, portable and, and oil uh, lamps that, that were placed on lamp stands to brighten a room, to give light to darkness. Lamp stands symbolize the churches. We are told in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 that we are to prove ourselves, the church, believers, we're to prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent. We are to prove ourselves to be children of God, above reproach in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation among whom 
we are to appear to this world crooked and perverse as a, the light of this world, to give light to the world. We are to be like the lampstands. Now watch further. The lampstands were golden. Gold, you see, was the most precious metal. And the church is to be of great value to God. How valuable? Jesus was willing to purchase the churches with his blood. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 tells us so. It says, Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, talking about the churches, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God. That's our responsibility, to shepherd the church of God, which, watch now, which Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. That's how valuable you and I are to God. He allowed his son to purchase us with his blood upon the cross. And that's how valuable this church is to be before our Lord. All churches. But again, we can't speak to all churches. We'll speak to this one. So here at The Rock, as you probably well know, we wish to honor Jesus Christ as our God and as our Savior in all the things that we do and all the things that we say and everything that we teach. With that in mind, let's take a look at what, what John explains as Jesus standing there before him. We see him in two ways, in his humanity and his deity. First, let's take a look at his humanity. He says in verse 13, he is, Jesus, is in the middle of the lampstands. That's the churches. And in the middle of the lampstand, there is one standing like the Son of Man. Now that was Jesus' favorite title for himself when he was on this earth. You see, as a, as a man, he knows exactly what you and I are going through. Good, bad, or indifferent. He's been there, so to speak. He's walked in our shoes. He has lived amongst us as a man. Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest, talking of Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but rather we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are. In other words, he was a human just as us. Yet he did this without sin. Because of his humanity, being the Son of Man, he understands your plight. Last night, um, this past week, for some of you that know uh, the, um, the Doncasters, um, Bob, who was probably one of the dearest of saints that I've ever met, uh, went to be home with the Lord. And his wife, Velma, was here last night. And I hugged her before the service, and I said, you okay? And she said, I'm fine. She says, God has really given me peace. She says, I know exactly where Bob is. And so when I was preaching last night, and I said, because of our Lord's humanity, he, being the Son of Man, he understands your plight, I, I just broke into tears because I understood what Velma said to me. You see, God becoming a man is the heart of the gospel message that we preach and believe here at this church. You see, Jesus had to be both. He had to be man as well as God. Why? Well, he had to become man so that he could die for yours and my sin. 
but also he had to be God so that our sins could be forgiven. So alongside of his humanity, so very importantly, we see his majestic deity, glory, the one we sing about. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar just at the sound of his name. Read with me again in verse 13 and we see he is the son of man, that's his humanity, but he's also clothed in a robe that reaches to, the, to his feet and is girded across his breast with a golden girdle. That's his deity, folks. In the Middle East, that culture, the, a robe, a golden girdle, were garments of position, wealth, royalty. And the golden band around his chest pictures our Lord's majesty and authority as Lord of lords and King of kings. And it also recognizes him as being our high priest who made his sacrifice for us. I want you to see something about his robe that, that um, I couldn't wait to turn to when I was studying this week. Would you look with me in Isaiah? Isaiah now, put, hold your place here in Revelation. We're coming right back. Isaiah, if you go to the middle of the Bible, Isaiah's to the right, as if you were going back to the New Testament. You go to the book of Psalms. That's pretty much the middle of the Bible. And, and you turn past the book of Proverbs. Oh boy, I'm right at Isaiah. Song of Solomon, um, Ecclesiastes first, then Song of Solomon. And then I think right after that, you're going to find the book of Isaiah. And I want you to see the sixth chapter with me. It is one of the most dynamic places in the Word of God, in my opinion. Isaiah sees the Lord in the heavens itself on his throne. It says the train of our Lord's robe filled the temple. And Isaiah saw God in all of his majesty. And, and Isaiah says the whole earth was full of his glory. Let's read what happened in the life of Isaiah when he sees Jesus Christ in this fashion. Watch. In the year of King Uzziah, verse 1 of chapter 6 of Isaiah. In the year of King Uzziah's death, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him. That's angels. They stood, aside, they stood beside him, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Note, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah writes in verse 4, The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him. Mountains bow down. Seas roar. The whole earth, the foundations of the thresholds, trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Now what does Isaiah say? The moment he sees God in this fashion, when he really sees him for who he is, he says, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a generation of people. Is that what it goes? I live amongst a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, to see God fully, what you see is your sin. You see how unworthy you are to stand before God. 
That's what I want you to see with me today. I want us to see not the baby that lived, that was in the manger, not the man that walked the streets of Galilee. We know him. Let's see Jesus Christ as God of very God. And when we do, we'll understand that we are a people of unclean lips. Once he said that, then one of the seraphims, one of these angels, flew to Isaiah with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongues. And he touched my mouth. I want you to hold on to this thought. He touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Remember that for later on, this touching. And your iniquity is taken away, he said. Your sin is forgiven, he said. Amazing. And then Isaiah said he heard a voice, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Us. That's interesting. Who will go for us? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And what did Isaiah say? He stood there and he says, Here am I. Send me. Think about it. Send me where? He doesn't know. To do what? He doesn't know. But when he saw God for who he truly is, he simply said, here am I. Send me. Use me. Do with me as you wish. I want you to hold that thought as well. How exciting would that be for us to be able to say that to our God? And so God said to him, go and tell, verse 9, go and tell the people who keep on listening but don't perceive and keep on looking but don't understand and I hate to tell you that, but I feel that that's my plight in life. To preach over and over again. Sometimes I think I'm, I'm like beating a, a dead horse. I've said this before. I've, I've, I've mentioned these things before. But I believe God says, keep on talking to those who listen but don't perceive. Keep on talking to those who are looking but don't seem to understand yet. Would you move, please, to Isaiah chapter 1, since we're in Isaiah? I want to remind you what we're going to look at in Isaiah chapter 1, 4. When we begin to see Jesus Christ back in Revelation, John says we see his head and we see his hair. They were, they were like white wool, John says. They were like snow. That speaks of our Lord's purity. How do I know? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Read with me. It says, Come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they're going to be as white as snow. Though they are red crimson, they will be like wool. This is a picture of our sins being cleansed, allowing us to have the purity that is in our Lord and Savior. Please back with me now to Revelation chapter 1. I hope that made some sense. I want you to hold in your mind. Isaiah was touched. When he saw God, he saw his sin. And he was ready to be sent wherever he didn't know. Now in verses 14, 15, and 16, we see a picture of our Lord's authority and judgment along with his purity. We saw his purity in his hair and his head. Look at verse 14. They were white like white wool. They were like snow. That speaks of his purity. Now we're going to see his authority and his judgment and the wrath that comes 
upon this earth to those who deny Jesus as their Lord and Savior. John sees six things of our Lord. He sees his eyes, his feet, his voice, his right hand, his mouth, and his face. Let's read them again. Verse 14, his eyes, well, they were like a flame of fire. His feet, they were burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. His voice, well, his voice was like the sound of many waters. Remember now, John's trying the best he can to explain what he's seeing. In his right hand, he held seven stars. That's the angels. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face, John says, oh, his face. His face was like the sun shining in all of its strength. Remember, in the Gospels, we saw a loving, all-forgiving Savior. He came as our humble servant. But here, no, when He comes this next time, He will come with His full authority, His full majesty. No longer the baby, no longer the man, but now God So let's take a look at each part of his body explained here in verses 14 through 16. His eyes, it says, were like a flame of fire. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews is to the left, of course. You're in the book of Revelation. You're going to go past Jude and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and 1st, 2nd Peter. You'll go James and then comes Hebrews. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. When John says his eyes were like a flame of fire, you need to know that Through the eyes of Jesus Christ, nothing can be hidden. How do we know? Hebrews 4.13 tells us this. It says in Hebrews 4.13 that there is no creature hidden from his sight. All things are opened and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He sees everything. Those things that you and I, you might do that you think nobody can see, he can see. He knows exactly what's going on within your life and my life, our lives. Now please turn to Hebrews chapter 12. It talks of his eyes were like a flame of fire. And that speaks of his judgment. He's going to bring judgment upon all that he sees. And remember, he sees everything. Hebrews chapter 12 I added one verse for, for us because it has so much to say. Remember, we're seeing God in all of His glory. It says in verse 28, Therefore, since we received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, in other words, a faith that cannot be shaken, let us show our gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. I, I added that because... It's what Isaiah did. When Isaiah saw his God, he wanted to serve his God. He wanted to honor him through just saying, Here am I, Lord. Send me. And so it says that we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For it says in verse 29, this is the verse that that the commentators wanted us to look at when it talked about his eyes were like a flame of fire. It says, Our God is a consuming fire. What a great verse. Fire is, and fire always has been a sign of God's judgment upon this earth to those who deny His existence, deny who He is, deny His salvation. 
back to Revelation 1 and verse 15, we now see his feet. John says his feet were like burnished bronze that were caused to glow in a furnace. That also speaks of his coming judgment. Because the furnace which bronzes the feet, again speaks of the fire of judgment and wrath to all who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19, 15, as we'll see in a moment. With his feet, it says, he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Then in verse 15, we, we see his voice mentioned. His voice, John says, is like the sound of many waters. It's really an interesting verse found in, in Psalms 29. If, if you hold your place here and turn back to Psalm 29, you can kind of read with me and maybe underline if you need to. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Verses 3, 4, and 5 tell us of our Lord's voice. It says in verse 3, The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory, it says, thunders. The Lord is over many waters. Verse 4 talks about His voice. His voice is powerful, it says. His voice, it says, is majestic. In verse 5 it says, His voice, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the voice of the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. One can only imagine how powerful that must be to break the cedars of Lebanon. Back, please, to Revelation 1 again. Verse 16, now we see in His right hand He holds seven stars. Of course, the stars we are explained in verse 20 are the angels. And his right hand is, speaks to the, the authority and, and the sovereignty and the power of Jesus Christ. That he held these seven stars, these angels in his right hand, does not picture safety and protection upon them. That was not needed. No, what it pictures is, in this case, control. He is the power over them. He is the authority over them. He is God Almighty. We are told that our Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. And we are told that the Father has given all authority to the Son. And so the right hand is the place of power and authority on heaven and on earth. Next, in verse 16, we see coming out of His mouth a sharp two-edged sword. It's very interesting. In the book of Revelation, in the 19th chapter, we see the sword is there to strike the nations who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. But in chapter 2, talking about the churches, we see the sword is there to purge the church. Read with me. Verse nine, chapter 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it, with the sword, he might strike down the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. But also in chapter 2 of the book of Revelation, in the 16th verse, he says to the church, Repent. Repent. Talking to the church. Or else I am going to come to you quickly. Quickly. Not in time, but in a sudden and in, in without warning. Repent. Or I will come without warning. And I will make war against them. Them are those who sin and refuse to repent. Those who try to disrupt the church of God. He says, repent or I'm coming to you quickly and I'm going to make war against them with the sword of my mouth. 
So far, all of this is speaking to the majesty, the power, the authority of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All coming from His eyes, His feet, His voice, His right hand, His mouth, and finally, we see His face. But the best that John can do is to say His face is like the sun shining in all of its strength. This displays the deity of Jesus Christ in His glory. It is here that it is shining in its strength. It's really ironic. The church, we are the lampstand. The lamp, the oil lamp that is the light to the world. The angels are like stars which give light to the evening time. But Jesus Christ, He's the sun. The sun that is shining in all of its strength. And the sun is the very center of the universe. And so shall Jesus be in our lives and in our church. He is the sun shining in all of its strength upon us. This picture of Jesus Christ, folks, is is more than awesome. It's incredible. His head, his hair, they were white like wool, like snow that talks of his purity. His eyes, his feet, his voice, his right hand, his, his mouth, his face, they all display the, the power, the majesty, the, the, the authority, the coming judgment, the wrath, the truth, the deity of our, our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And where does he stand? He stands right in the middle of the church, in the lampstands. Now what happens to John when he finally turns and sees this one who is standing there that he tried to explain? Look what it says in verse 17. It says, when he saw him, he fell at his feet as a dead person. Now remember Isaiah. When he saw God, he saw his own sin When John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet like a dead man. His God, his Savior, his King, his Lord, the Messiah, all wrapped up into one person standing there right before his eyes. And as I said to you, John saw him before. He walked with him, but this time it's much different. Because now he sees Jesus in all of his glory. That's what I want you to see today. When you see him in this fashion, you'll see how desperately you are in need of your Savior. Well, what does this all-consuming God do in verses 17 and 18 when John falls at his feet like a dead man? He touches John. Remember I said in Isaiah, remember we were going to talk about this touching He touches John. It says in verse 17, He laid his right hand uh, upon him and said, Don't be afraid, John. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I I am alive forevermore. I've got the keys to death and to Hades. You talk about impacting when I mentioned that last night and Velma was sitting right there. She looked at me and smiled. Because that's where her Bob is right now. With her Lord. With his Lord. But listen, Jesus Christ always touches people. He touched the leper. Remember the blind man? He got some clay, put it on his eyes. He touched him. He touched the dead. They came to life. He touched the sick and they became well. He touched the mouth of Isaiah. 
And here he touches his servant, John, saying, don't be afraid. In essence, he's saying, it's me. I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I, I was dead, and now I'm alive forevermore. And also, I've got the keys to death and to Hades. This speaks to our Lord's resurrection power and His victory over sin and death. I hope and pray that you see him in that setting. For the past three weeks or so, we've been talking about Jesus Christ, and we've pictured him, not we, but the book of Revelation has pictured him for who he truly is in his majestic glory, the picture of Jesus Christ. Have you felt him touch you at all? I mean, through the message maybe, or, or through something that's happened in your life, or, or someone else? Have you felt the touch of God? I don't want to brag. I don't. I only, I only can talk for myself. You see, I would love to be able to make you feel this. I, I can't. I'm not that great of a preacher. I can only tell you, it's, I can only impact my own life. And when I'm home studying, and I've studied this section, and I'm going through it, honest to goodness, I have felt the touch of God. And it is overwhelming. Now, I'm not talking about really feeling a hand on me or anything like that. I've just felt the touch of God. And I'm the only one that can, that can impact my own life. When I preach, I'm the only one that can impact me. I can't impact you. I can't make you change. You've got to do that. It's all of us individually that needs to change. Have you felt Him touch your life these last couple of weeks well, if you have, then what have you done with him? If you're here investigating, you feel, you feel him kind of upon you. You feel something happening. Don't brush it off and say, wow, that's weird. No, accept it. Accept him for who he is. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Ask him to make your life like he wants it to be. And if you felt the touch, and He is your Lord and Savior, then are you His servant? Are you willing to say, Here am I, Lord. Use me. Use me. You see, your soul and your eternity and all your earthly blessings are at stake on how you answer and live out these questions. Have you felt His touch? If you have, what have you done with Him? And how are you living for Him? One of my greatest joys on this earth is to be with you in this church. I love you from the depth of my soul. I thank God for every single one of you here. But I can't move you. I can't. I can preach the Word of God. God's given me that. But I can't make you believe. I can't make you to be blameless and 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 holy before Him, and live an innocent life. I, I can't ask you or make you do that. I can ask you. I can kind of hope that you would, but I can only impact my own self. Some, 19, when was it? 19, March 12, 1973. When I came to the Lord, there was one thing that I was frightened of, the most, 
most frightened I was when I came to Jesus Christ was that I wasn't going to be able to live out what I wanted to be as a Christian. You see, I was raised by a wonderful father. My dad wasn't a believer until later in life. I had the privilege of seeing my dad come to Christ. My dad wasn't a believer, but man, I wouldn't have traded him for any other dad on the face of this earth. When I used to, back in Highland Park, when I used to have to mow the lawn, when I came back in and I put the lawnmower away and I walk in, Dad would go out on the porch with me and he said, do you call that a job? He said, you, do you, that's, you're happy with that? Look, son, are you happy with that? I said, pretty much, Dad, yeah, why? He said, look, you've missed some spots over there. Why don't you go get the lawnmower and fix it? He said, remember, son, when you do something, it's, it's really worthwhile to do it right. When I came to Christ, that was kind of what I felt like. If I'm going to be a believer, I want to give him my whole heart. I just don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to love him with everything that I am. You know, the Bible says we're to love our God with all of our heart, strength, soul, might. I mean, that's the truth. I can't make you do that. Hopefully you've seen Jesus Christ this morning in a new and fresh way that would make you want to fall on your face before him and allow him to touch you. and Saying, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I was dead and I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to death, deities. You're my child. We need to be a light into this world in which we live. There are people out there that are dying and just going straight to hell. We can't make them come to Christ, but by goodness, grace, by God's goodness, we can show them what Christianity looks like through our lives. Father, uh, man, to see your son, and even at that, Father, it's, it's filtered through human eyes. We, it's hard for us to comprehend what we just read. I can only imagine what John must have felt like. I mean, it, it explains it. I mean, it's not... It's not by accident that you wrote down that John fell at his feet like a dead person. I mean, he had walked with your son. He had seen him in his humanity. But now he's seeing him in his glory. Father, may we live to see our Lord in that fashion. I think it will change our lives for the better. May we walk with you, Father. May we feel your touch and not kind of brush it off as just, uh, wow, that was weird, but rather embrace it. Lord, bless us as we go from here and take care of each person. Watch over us and our families. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all more than life itself. I'll see you next week, okay? God bless you.